You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Wow. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining us online here at Sun Grove Church, and I'm so reminded that we are the church, whether you're gathering in a flat or an apartment or in a house or right here, that you are the church. And in times like these, it reminds me of the apostles in the New Testament. So often they would be persecuted and they'd be writing from prison. They'd be writing to their church, to the people out there who were the living church of God. And they'd be writing to them, but they would miss them with all their heart. And we want you to know that we miss gathering, but we think God is using this unique time for you to gather and connect as the church right where you are. And we're so glad that we're here together today. Now, I am a terrible waiter. I I am not good at waiting. My family has found out that when we go to the airport and we have to go through security, it's safer for all parties involved if they let me go first and I go through the security at a very much an achiever pace, very rapid, try to get through very quickly, very essentially, grab my things, and then I get settled on the other side. While my family goes through, then they can take their time and not feel pressured by me. So I don't know about you. I want to ask the question, what kind of waiter are you? What do you do when you have to wait? What do you do when you're waiting? We're waiting for the coronavirus pandemic to pass. What are you doing while you're waiting for the stock market to rebound? What are you doing while you're waiting for your educational plans to resume? Hospitals are on high alert right now, but I need to let you know that 10 months from now, maternity wards at hospitals will be on high alert because of all the babies that will be conceived at this waiting time right now. And when I used to preach in Colorado, we would have blizzards and we knew that 10 months after a blizzard, the hospitals would be inundated with blizzard babies. And so we want you to know that this too will pass, but it certainly has put us in the time of waiting. One of the commonalities among humans is that waiting can provide some rest, but also idleness can lead to sin. And you're in a time right now where you're forced to wait, where we're forced to wait, where as the church we're waiting, it's what we do. You may have heard the phrase, don't drink and prime. And what that means is people would get drunk sometimes and they'd go shopping on Amazon Prime. They'd wake up the next day and have all these delivery schedules that they would see that they can't remember ordering and they have to go back and cancel all their orders on Amazon Prime. Don't drink in Prime while you're waiting. But what do you do while you're waiting? The Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting a long time and they were waiting for the Messiah, picturing that he would be ushered into their beautiful temple in Jerusalem, that he would kick the world's problems out the door, and that they would become the most important people group on the planet. They wanted him to come and make things like heaven on earth, but that was not the plan of the Messiah. The Messiah didn't just want to come and make heaven on earth. What he wanted to do is take earth people to heaven. He wanted to take people like you and me, people who are, are not good at waiting, people who have shortcomings. And he wanted to provide a way out from our condemnation of our own sin. And he wanted to cancel that out and offer us eternal life and give us a chance to be in heaven with him. So Jesus followers, we wait now for the return of Christ. He lived on earth, he ascended into heaven, we're waiting for him to come back. But you can use that time for God's glory and be on mission in your life, or you and I can get in a lot of trouble 
by not using that time well and getting off mission. And Jesus warned in the passage we're going to look at today, as we're in a series going through the book of Luke, and we're in Luke 21, Jesus warned believers that there were three dangers that can sideline Christ's followers while they wait for the return of Christ. And here's why you need this sermon. You're weighed down in your heart with those dangers. And Jesus wants to bring peace and release to your hearts. Disciples had a lot of concerns. They had a lot of things going on. And things were pretty tense at the time at which Jesus is beginning to speak in Luke chapter 21. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Luke 21. Jesus, as he's teaching, has previously, the day before, been in the outer temple of the courts. And as he's been in the outer temple of the courts, he has kicked out the money changers. See, the outer temple of the courts were the place where the foreigners who had traveled to see this beautiful, amazing temple, they would travel here, and this would be the place where they could pray to the living God, even though they were foreigners, they were non-Jewish people. But what had happened is the Jewish people had set up tables and money changing all throughout that court to sell foreigners at exorbitant prices the religious relics that they would need to worship at the temple. And Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. So he started throwing over the money changers tables. He created a whip and he kicked all the people out and he shut down the economy one afternoon in the temple for most of that day. Well, now Jesus has moved from the outer temple into the inner court of the temple and that's where it picks up in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse one. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. And some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? So Jesus gives them a precursor, having condemned the outer courts of the temple and moving in the temple that literally the time of the temple and the way that religion was practiced in that time to worship the true and living God was coming to an end. And they wanted to know what you and I want to know. When is the end coming? When's it coming? When is that going to happen? Again, the day before Jesus had cleared out the outer courts and, and kicked people out of there and really condemned the practice of the Pharisees by using religion to earn a lot of money. But now he moves into the inner courts. The inner court was the woman's court, the women's court. And in that court, there were 13 different receptacles for offerings. Seven of them were different types of offering that are described in the Old Testament law. But six of the receptacles came from the Mishnah, from the additional rules that Pharisees had piled on people and had guilted them and shamed them and laden them with a heavy burden of extra offerings. And we don't know which of those receptacles that this woman, this widow, with all she has to live on was putting her offering in. But I don't know about you, but for me, this study of this passage has actually undone like 30 years of sermons I've heard on this passage. 
Because if you're going to be a careful student of the Word of God, you got to look at the Word of God in its context. And that's what we're going to do here today. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Now in the women's court, Jesus sees a widow give all she had to live on. And immediately after, he condemns the temple itself. He condemns the temple itself. He's condemned the outer courts. He's now in the women's courts, and he's going to also condemn the actual building of the temple. And there's an interesting thing that's happening here. It's very interesting to me because people always, when they give a sermon on this passage, they usually say what the intent of the widow was. Now, the scripture never tells us. It doesn't tell us why she's giving. It tells us what she gave, that she gave two little coins, that she gave all she had to live on, but it doesn't tell us why. But for years and years and years, maybe you and also me, I've heard sermons that say she was so sacrificial, she was so good, she gave out of the love of her heart for God and just trusted God with the rest, and that might be true. But the scripture never tells us that, so we can't project that into the account. All we know is that a widow gave the last of what she had to some offering in the church. So there's two possibilities. If you're taking notes, here's one. She gave for eternal reward sacrificially. That's one of the possibilities. The other one is this, that she gave to the corrupt system of mandatory offerings from the Pharisees, which Jesus said devours widows' houses. See, what you need to look at is you look at the context. Jesus has, has, has cast out the corruption in the outer court. Then he basically says, while he's there, in the previous chapter, Luke 20, verse 45, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' Houses for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So picture this. Jesus has just condemned the outer court of the temple. He now moves into the women's court. Here's a widow. Jesus has just said that these unfair, pharisaical practices devour the homes of widows. Now here's a widow who maybe obligatorily, not out of joy, but maybe out of obligation is giving all she had to live on. And Jesus is saying, look, there's corruption out there. There's corruption in here. And now the disciples are kind of oblivious and they go, well, look how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus goes, that's gonna be condemned as well. When you're a student of the word of God, you have to look at the context. You can't read in the intent of this woman. Was she giving sacrificially? Obviously it was all she had to live on. Was she having to trust God? Yes. But could it be that Jesus was pointing her out of all the people who were there as an example of the Pharisees who were devouring widows' homes? Listen, the Pharisees, they love the applause of people. They love it. And Jesus described it pretty well. They make big prayers. They love their clothing. They like to be in front of a lot of people. They do things for demonstration and the applause of people. But here's one thing I want you to know. We lose the approval of God when we seek the approval of people. We lose it. And our culture is surrounded by the approval 
of people always wondering, well, what does someone else think? What does the culture think? What do other people think? What is everybody else doing? And so often we can get sidelined and off mission from seeking the approval of God. So what was the widow doing? Was she seeking the approval of God or was she seeking the approval of these religious leaders and the condemned system into which Jesus walks in the temple? We don't know. But what we know is this, that we lose the approval of God when we seek the applause of people. Write this down. There's good news. In this, it's one of the great things about God that's revealed here. It's one of the great things about Jesus is that God sees what people overlook. God sees what people overlook. God sees you when you trust him in private prayer. When you come to him with your heart and you're describing all that's going on and your worries and your fears, when you come to God with a resolution, when you come to God seeking wisdom, when you come to God and saying, man, my life isn't lining up to your word and I need your help, when you come to God humbly and you say, God, make atonement for me, God sees when you trust him in private prayer. God sees when your generous heart gives instead of hoards. He sees when you give to others, when everything within you says, I want to survive and I got to gather my things close to me. Ladies, God sees your modesty when the world sometimes will overlook you because of how you dress. Men, God sees the sacrifice that you make with your eyes when you respect his daughters. God sees the sacrifices that you and I make to obey him. He sees what people overlook. And again, whose approval are we looking for? That's good news. Second, disciples often find it hard that earthly icons will not last. Picture this under this current climate. If last year I said, listen, you know, maybe it was fall last year. If I just say, hey, listen, uh, time is coming real soon when we will not be allowed. People will not be allowed to gather in their churches nationwide. You would have said, I am crazy. And yet here we are. The disciples thought the same thing. What are you talking about, Jesus? This temple's been around for a long, long time. I mean, look at the stones. Look at the gold that's inlaid. Look how permanent this dwelling place of the Almighty seems to be. It's all we know. It's all we can picture. And that's what they're saying. They're, they're so fixated that they've heard about this, this widow, but they're so fixated now. Jesus, look how beautiful this place is. Look how amazing this temple is. And Jesus starts to shift the importance from the earthly temple to something else. My question for you is in this climate, it is squeezing you, it's pressuring you. And the question is, what systems and structures are you clinging to that may not have a lasting place in God's kingdom? Look at the church. This is a beautiful building. And there are very few of us in here today because why? The church is us. The church is we who gather and we're gonna gather any way that we can. But sometimes we put so much emphasis on the system and the expectation of what is normal. And when that gets shifted or changed, we have to come before God and go, God, is it going to be this way? And can I still follow you if things don't look the way that they always look? Can I follow you by watching online? Can I follow you by being in person? Can I follow you in my workplace? Can I show that I have faith in a shifty and a scary culture right now? Jesus in Luke 21 will reference the time of the Gentiles in regard to the temple. See, this temple was a Jewish temple. No one could imagine that the place where the temple was might have a season in its history that is the time of the Gentiles. 
Number three, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. That's about 35 years or 35 to 37 years after Jesus is saying these things. And the time of the Gentiles in Jerusalem lasted at the minimum until 1948 and perhaps even until now because there's no rebuilt Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. There's not one even now. All these years later, there's still not a Jewish temple rebuilt. Now, why do you suppose that the God of the universe who created everything, who's all powerful, who could give the Israelites back a portion of their land, that this God has not rebuilt a temple on the Temple Mount? Well, let me give you some extra credit. Christians are the new temple of the living God. Jesus is indicating a shift the way of the temple, the way of the Old Testament sacrifices, the necessity for all the propriety within the Old Testament uh, temple is going to be fulfilled in the body and the person of Christ, not requiring those sacrifices any longer. There's gonna be freedom. And now the spirit of God is gonna dwell in the people of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is the church. Your body is the temple. You're part of a living building, living stones that God is crafting together with other believers as his home. See, here's a picture for you. The Pharisees devoured the homes of the widows, but God is making his home in you. God's saying the home of God that was on earth, this temple is gonna be destroyed, just like the Pharisees who are devouring homes, and instead the spirit of God is going to live in you. So how and what we do with our bodies matters. Why? Because we have new ownership, because we're a new creation, and the spirit of God is living in you. The spirit of God is with you. Even in a time when the church gets stretched out and has to do social uh, separation, when they have to watch out a little bit for each other, when they have to meet online, we're still the church. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus now transitions and says, other changes are coming in the times ahead. And the disciples wanna know what those are. So look with me at Luke 21, verse eight and following. He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs in the heavens. And he transitions. But before this, they will seize you and they will persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and they'll put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves. For I will give you words of wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. 
And when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know that the desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be a great distress in the land and wrath against this people. And they will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's what happened in AD 70. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jesus revealed that persecution would, become, would come before the signs of the Lord's return would show up. He starts into it, he pauses, he describes what's gonna happen to the city of Jerusalem, which happened and was fulfilled in the disciples' generation in AD 70. And then he's gonna transition to talk about what are the signs of the times when the Lord is going to show up. Jesus revealed that persecution would come before the signs of the Lord's return would show up. And when we study Acts later this year, we're gonna go through the book of Acts, and as we do, you are going to see the persecution and the betrayal of many, many people during the launch of the early church. And this persecution in Jerusalem is what dispersed the church to all nations. It dispersed the word about Jesus Christ and his truth to all nations in the known world at that time. That persecution scattered them, much like our season right now has scattered us a bit, but it provides new opportunity for us to share the truth with those who might believe. Write this down. Jesus reassures his disciples that God will enable you to face persecution and deliver you from it, whether by giving you words to say in your own defense or by saving you after martyrdom. Modern day martyrs, even in places like Nigeria, they say, I am proud if it goes that way to die for Christ, that I've lived my life, that I have not denied him. Spouses of people who've been martyred say, I'm so proud of him because he was faithful he did not deny. He held true to the last. He gave a response and he did not succumb and then they killed him. But these spouses are proud of a husband who might have died. Listen, he, Jesus says, you're gonna have freedom from anxiety when you face the courts or the authorities. The Pharisees regularly threatened people. They tried to trap Jesus. They tried to trap people. And people were oftentimes so afraid to answer the Pharisees because if they answered wrong, they were afraid the Pharisees were going to kick them out of church. They were going to kick them out of the synagogue where they would go to worship on a regular basis. But Jesus reassures us that we can be free from worry when we're dragged into the court by persecutors. And then he transitions. He's like, let's get on to it. Let's talk about the signs of the times while we're waiting for the return of the Lord. Verse 25 of Luke 21 says, there will be signs in the sun moon and stars and on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them this parable, look at the fig tree. And all the trees, when they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will never pass away. And then he says in verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Always be on the watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So Jesus tells us what the signs are of the times. And what are we to do as people who are waiting for the return of the Lord? Well, signs of the return of Christ include false prophets, they include wars, they include earthquakes, famine and pestilences in various places, fearful events and signs in the heaven, and specifically Jesus references the sun, the moon, and the stars. Also, tumultuous oceans. The ocean is not going to act like the ocean is supposed to act. He's going to reference that the heavenly bodies are shaken. They're not going to do what they're supposed to do. The natural order in creation becomes chaotic. So you go, well, sometimes we see things in the heaven, or we've had, you know, tsunamis and other things. Are those the signs of the times? And Jesus is saying there's a radical shift. There's a radical shift that the entire world knows at this time, that the regular order of creation will be chaotic. In other words, the sun's going to do what the sun's not supposed to do. It's not supposed to do that. And it's going to start doing something. The moon is going to do something that it's never done in recorded history. That the moon has always done what it's doing. But for some reason at that time, the moon and its cycle will be different. The stars will do what the stars are not supposed to do. The oceans will make no sense. The way the oceans have always been, they will be tumultuous to the point where all the people in the world are freaked out by what's happening in the oceans. That's what's going to happen before the return of Christ. The natural order becomes chaotic. And once these massive signs happen, it's likely that Christ's return will occur in that generation, just as the fall of Jerusalem and the persecution of the early church happened in the first disciples' generation. See, people mix those up. They think that Jesus is saying, hey, all these things are going to happen in this one generation. Jesus is saying, just as you're going to be persecuted and dispersed and the temple's going to be condemned and destroyed, which I've started here this week that he's talked about, in the same way in that first generation, the dispersal of the church will happen. Once these signs happen, it's very likely that the return of the Lord will happen within the generation of those who watch nature and the entire earth become chaotic. What I want to focus in on today are the three dangers of what happens when we wait for the Christ to return. Because I think Jesus slipped something in here that most people overlook. I think Jesus is concerned not so much about the events as he is about your heart. And he says your heart is going to get weighed down with some things. And I don't know about you, but it seems like in recent days, people's hearts are weighed down. They're weighed down with the anxieties of life. They're weighed down with all that's going on. There's uncertainty and people don't handle change well. They don't handle uncertainty well. Uh, people will run to different things in a, in a very chaotic season or a time where they just have to wait. And as believers are waiting on the return of their Lord, it's very easy for our hearts to get weighed down and sidetracked along the way. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, 
He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. If you're taking notes today, write this. Jesus followers are not to be weighed down in their hearts with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life, but to sacrifice and stay on mission to stand before Christ. The first word he uses is carousing. It's an interesting word. Your version might also say dissipation. A lot of people are like, what is carousing and what's dissipation? What it really means is that people will be weighed down sometimes with promiscuity, but it also means that people will be weighed down with excess, hoarding, trying to get enough, only looking out for themselves, self-indulgence, being full of yourself. And we see our culture right now doing that. We are so weighed down with what's going to happen to me. Weighed down with do I have enough? Can I survive? Weighed down with what's happening to my world and my business and my condition. And the truth is, it's easy for believers who are waiting for the return of Christ to get carried away with the anxieties of life. It's easy for them to get carried away with carousing as well, the excess. He also says drunkenness. And so often when things get crazy, people run to whatever might be a comfort. And, and for you, it might not be drunkenness. It might be any controlling substance, any controlling activity that gets you off mission from being the people of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. What we do with our bodies in times like these matters. So my question is, are your resources going to what worries you? Are you trying to buy security in this life in a time like this? Are you trying to just look for excess and self and be like, am I going to be okay? Are you spending money on carousing or buying controlling substances? Or are you investing in Jesus' kingdom until he returns? Are you fixated on the anxieties of life and worrying about tomorrow in uncertain times? And the beautiful thing is this, that Jesus wants you and I to fixate on him. He wants you and I to take our eyes off what is down and take our eyes off what is on a screen. And he wants us to take our eyes up and fixate them on him. The author and the perfecter of our faith wants us to fixate on him because he wants to bring peace to our weighed down hearts. He wants to bring release from our weighed down hearts. And I don't know what you're feeling this day. But what I do know is that there's a God who's saying, time could be short. We don't know the number of our days. We can't keep the number of our hairs on our head, the number of hairs on our head. But there's a God who loves you and a God who knows you and a God who cares for you. A God who wants to come alongside you and say, the time is tearing, but don't give up. And when you're weighed down in your heart, I want to bring you peace and release. And maybe today that's exactly what you need. Just for a moment in your house, with your family, by yourself, anywhere in the world that you might be watching, I want you to just take a moment and think about your own life for a moment and ask this question. Have I been clinging to an artificial temple? Have I been clinging to the church looking like what I expect the church to look like? And maybe God is causing a change. Maybe he's doing something new and unique with us. But I want you to know that same God wants to bring release to your heart. And the thing that he came to do is not bring heaven on earth. He came to bring heaven to people who live on earth, who are weighed down by their sin. And you need to know that Jesus died on the cross for you. That he took God's wrath against sin 
upon himself. And when he looks at you, the wrath that would normally go to you was satisfied in Christ. And he goes, it's paid in full. And I want you to have freedom. But Jesus is a gentleman. He's not like a disease that comes and attacks you. Jesus says, I want you to invite me. I want you to invite me into your heart to bring forgiveness to you. I'm not gonna force it on you, I won't. And so he's asking you right now, would you like to have your sins washed away? Would you like at the end of all the trouble in this world to come to heaven, to be with me? And if that's you today, just right where you are, would you just bow your head and pray this prayer to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I believe you're coming back. Jesus, I ask you right now to forgive me of all my sin. Would you make me a new creation on the inside? Would you wash me as white as snow? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, would you please respond to us? You might click on the link below and be able to uh, just respond to us. Fill out that little contact. And we would love to be able to know and be a resource to you and help you begin to grow in the decision that you made. You might be in a, right here in the California area. You might be in another state. But that today is the day that you said, yes, I made a decision for Jesus Christ. My sins are washed away. The Holy Spirit indwells me. And I have become now a living stone in the temple of the living God who's coming back someday. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful for what you're doing in and through our church. Thank you, God, for the technologies that enable us to connect. And, and God, we so long to be back together. We look forward to the day when you will resurrect your church after this season. God, would you be with those who are suffering? Would you be with those who are so overwhelmed by terrors and fear? God, would you encourage those around us as we can witness and love and care for people in their distress? We pray this in the name of Jesus. And together we said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.